Welcome to B2B Marketers on a Mission, a podcast for change makers where we question the conventional, debunk marketing myths, provide actionable tips, think differently, disrupt industries, and take your marketing to a new level. From improving your campaigns to making you a better marketer, these are the inspirational stories that will help us change the way we think and approach B2B marketing one conversation at a time. This podcast is brought to you by Einblick Consulting, helping you to stand out in the market and drive revenue to your B2B business. And now your host, Christian Klepp. Okay, welcome everyone to this episode of B2B Marketers in the Mission. This is the show where we help you to question the conventional, think differently, disrupt your industry, and take your marketing to new heights. This is your host, Christian Klepp, and today I am joined by someone on a mission to help B2B companies to reinforce brand strength, develop inspired teams, drive value, and as well as generate revenue. So coming to us from Boston, Massachusetts, Jasmine Matarosian, welcome, and I have to say it's an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show. Christian, it's a pleasure to see you again and be on your show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to this conversation, Jasmine, because if... uh, our previous conversation was any indication of the topic. I mean, so this is, I would say, very pertinent to teams that are in a similar situation as yours. So let's get started. And I'm going to start with this, right? I'm going to say, short of stating the obvious, you have an impressive track record of success in B2B, right? So you've focused in the past on building consensus and developing creative solutions for cross-functional global groups with different needs and goals. But let's narrow the topic down a bit for this conversation. And this topic, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna dare to assume that it's become part of your professional mission. How to build world-class B2B marketing teams and a culture in a competitive industry. To kick off the conversation, the question is, what would you say is the biggest challenge that someone faces in that situation I've just highlighted? Building the team. You can accomplish anything with having the right team, but getting the right team together goes a long way. And so you have to understand a number of variables. You have to understand what the needs of your organizations are at that very point in time. You have to understand where you're trying to arrive, what's your mission, and you have to have the right people by your side to arrive at that destination because nothing happens by happenstance in that kind of a mission-driven situation. So then you have to understand the composition of your team. You have to understand strategically what it is that you're trying to accomplish and you have to align the right resources. In my case, under uh, the circumstances, and I would recommend for others to think the same way, these days it has to start with people who have very strong digital skills, who understand SEO, and who understand how to align the right kind of content to bring to the right search engine results and to rise up in rankings. And now since like last October, we have the impact of chat GPT, which means a lot of kind of vanilla content is being generated. It can help, but it's not the answer by itself. So knowing how to become even more competitive in this ultra-competitive environment to be strategic and execute seamlessly makes a world of difference on outcomes. Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, um, no surprise that you brought up ChatGPT because that's the 
that's the name on everybody's lips these days. I don't know if Bard is eventually going to take over, remains to be seen. It's the question about artificial intelligence and uh, I suppose how that can complement, not replace, but complement the work that you're, you and your team are doing, right? So tr truth is artificial intelligence has been with us for a long time and it's been behind the scene running the engines of a lot of uh, sites, tools that we've all been using. So it, it's not a novel thing. The minor difference, or may, maybe even major, is that now it's opened for access by so many people. Now, how it's used, I mean, there are, um, it, it's, it's been with us, it's going to be with us. But how it's used, for instance, it does not bring sources. Uh, it does not validate things. It could be plagiarizing. So there is a host of concerns that people should think about. And I mean, it is with us, it will be used. So you use the right word, complement, how it becomes part of your menu of offerings and skill sets. But really, uh, you can't give up on your own self-improvement skills on how to write better. You know, it's not a substitute. And those that kind of become captives of it will never evolve at the level they could. Absolutely. I'm going to move us on to the next question, which I am very confident you will have no problem answering. Talk to us about on the topic of building up the right team, the right marketing team and the right internal culture. Talk to us about some of the common mistakes and misconceptions that you've seen around these particular topics and how marketers should address them? It's a great question. A lot of teams, be it marketing and organizations overall, build up a structure that is too complicated. And when you build that complexity, you're adding unnecessary barriers for people to thrive and you're slowing down the process. So having a team that's fairly flat, yes, there will be some layers, but that's fairly flat is important. Having a team where everybody understands what the other person is doing is also extremely important. You'd be surprised in how many organizations uh, people trip over one another. I'm not gonna name the name of an organization, but I know of one and I was there at some point where there were about 400 marketers. Some were product marketers, some were field marketers, everybody tripping over one another. And 50% of their time was spent in coordinating as they're working on the same thing. Yeah. yeah. What not to do, or sometimes there was duplication of effort that becomes counterproductive. So team size is also a matter. Like in that same organization, it took 27 people to touch a single marketing automation email that went out. That's insanity, right? But because the organization was big, over a billion in revenue, somebody could hide that. That's unbelievable lack of efficacy and efficiency. By contrast, for instance, when I was at Tuzood, really one person was sending out with collaboration from content managers over 1,800 email campaigns a year. So it's how you build the team, how there is a division of labor. You know, we're talking about 
uh, Industry 4.0, which is now 5.0 on the horizon, which is the fourth industrial revolution in essence, IoT, connected things. But the reality is we can't forget also the lessons from Industry 1.0, the industrial revolution. The specialization is really critical. So there should be enough. And by specialization, I'm talking also about ownership ownership accountability on the team of who's driving results where uh we we tend to forget about those things absolutely absolutely well my jaw just dropped did you did, did you say 400 marketers in, in the um in the other company <laughs> in one company yes there were about 398 to be precise at the time i was there but then i learned it it had mushroomed to more afterwards yeah yeah I mean, a lot of the things that you've said in the past couple of minutes really resonated with me. And um, I was working with a client in a previous role, and they had to go through seven layers of approval, right? If you write an article that's supposed to go out on not, not external, like the internal intranet, that had to go through seven layers of approval <laughs> before it was published. And you know, by the time it was approved, uh, two weeks had passed, three weeks had passed, right? And I, and I think that was the point of um, the discussion. I mean, these these organizations sometimes are their own worst enemy, right? They they hamper their own progression with all their rules and guidelines and layers of the, the red tape, for lack of a better description. <laughs> exactly. And it, it, in the end, it incapacitates as opposed to helping or bringing agility and delivering results. Absolutely, absolutely. So once again, with reference to the topic of building up a marketing team and the right culture, break it down for us. I call this a bit of the Lego approach, but um, this is definitely something that is pertinent to marketers out there. How do you get buy-in from the senior management and the other business units for what you're proposing to roll out. So that's the first question. The second question is how do you deal with the pushback? Yeah. The buy-in is pretty straightforward. You, mm. you know, you have to speak about the impact and results that you'll be delivering. And in reality, you better deliver those results, right? Mm. Because mm. it's measurable. The work of marketing in a way is very straightforward because you either have the results or you don't. It's pretty straightforward. It's either done or it's not. And when it comes to objections, thankfully I haven't encountered too many objections in a very long time, partly because I'm working with enlightened leaders and the value of marketing today is very different than it was even 20, 30 years ago, right? What marketing does today, it's actually revenue marketing, it's there is marketing driven sales marketing actually uh, the buying um, journey has changed uh, before digital marketing and before the ascendance and power of the internet e-commerce sellers of products had more information so they had more power than the buyers now it's the buyers that have more information they do their research has the power of inbound leads which are which is really marketing effort so when they come it's the companies to lose rather than to gain so here's somebody who's raising their hand who's willing to make a purchasing decision and so well-oiled well-aligned organizations that can capture those people 
and turn them into customers. Well, that's a, those are great points. Um, I think what I wanted to say was if we just backtrack a little bit, right? Because, okay, it's great that you've, um, you know, you've been in um, situations where you had leaders that were pretty much aligned with your vision. Short of playing the devil's advocate, let's suppose you're in a situation where, uh, for instance, and this happens in B2B more often than not, right? You're in an organization or an industry that has built up their business over 25 years without necessarily using any marketing. And then now all of a sudden, they introduce the marketing function. And of course, there's resistance to it because, you know, people don't know what they don't know, or if they don't understand it, then they feel maybe it's not that important. How do you deal with that kind of situation? You really have to start by showing, right? You talk is cheap. Anybody can talk and promise things. You know, ask for permission to experiment, you know, and, and make a case there that organizations that do not know how to fail fast will not last into the next several decades, right? So that that's very important for the organization to learn to uh, allow for new experimentation, new ideas. They need to drive innovation. Don't take the no kind of as an answer, because you're right. If somebody has existed for 25 years and they've had no marketing, why bother suddenly? But then talk to them about the lost opportunity cost, what it is that they don't even know that they're missing or that by not doing marketing, they're seeing this. And also it's how it's positioned. I In old fashioned organization, marketing is used as a cost, whereas I think marketing should be viewed as, as a revenue generator and contributor. So that kind of changes uh, the whole perception you know, it's a paradigm shift yeah. to right. use a fancy right. term. Yes, absolutely. Uh, mm. And and once you come at it from that angle, then most leaders really would actually be at least curious to try. So don't say, okay, wholesale buy everything, ask to try and show wherever you can. You can make traction in certain things. I mean, it's in the positioning. For instance, if somebody is not investing into their website, Talk about it. It's a living 24-7 uh, store for you, right? It's your it's your front. It's it's an organization that doesn't sleep in effect because you can, you know, attract global buyers from different time zones and talk about how that storefront can serve your needs. Uh, look at data. People usually love seeing numbers. So talk from a data perspective and show them what can go where. Do not overpromise much because once you overpromise and you underdeliver, that's like the kiss of death. Do not ever do that. But be be realistic. Show what can be, and if you make certain efforts, what results you can deliver, and also be very vocal about the results. A lot of marketers don't do their own marketing, but you have to learn to do your own PR to emphasize where there was a contribution or not. And frankly, if it's not working, find out why it's not working, because Absolutely. it should uh, look inward, look at what you're doing that you could be doing differently. And remember, very often, a lot of, you know, quotas, numbers will go up with expecting different gigantic results. And one should always say, OK, what are we going to be doing differently? Yes. Because to do everything the same way and expect a different outcome is as they say the definition of insanity 
you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. You brought up a really great point that I wanted to go back to about uh, being vocal about the results and also marketers doing their own PR. So I think you and I have both seen situations where marketers are hesitant or reluctant to do that. And why, why, do, you, why do you think that they um, hesitate to do that? Is it because they're afraid to rock the boat, especially if it's in a larger organization? Could be a lot of things, but one of the things that I've learned that in life, even though something may be self-evident to you because you're the subject matter expert in that area, it does not mean that it's self-evident to others. So, and a lot of the people may underestimate the power of that, right? It's so easy to think, well, it's so obvious, I know about this, but only because we know something and we take that for granted does not, emphasis on not, translate to others knowing something and really have, making that connection or even seeing the causation. Yes. Absolutely. So, to me, a, a lot of people fall into that trap because, again, if it's obvious to us, and most people don't want to brag, right? Yeah. You know, they think, but it's so self-evident, but it may be self-evident to you as the expert, but not to others who may not make that connection. Exactly, exactly. Well, hence also the reason why they encourage marketers who are presenting reports to non-marketing people to drop the jargon and the abbreviations and the acronyms, right? Because uh, that's designed to confuse. Jargon, it's very interesting. Mm. People sometimes don't even notice they, they use jargon. Deep down, it gives them a sense of belonging and expertise. But yeah. in the end, it's actually alienating and isolating. And a lot of people, if they don't understand the jargon, will be embarrassed to ask. Hence, it becomes more of a trap because people don't want to show that they're uninformed. Of course, there is Google. You could always look up a lot of things, but... Yes, probably not in a board meeting, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on the it depends on the layout, right? If you're seeing yeah. an angle where people can't see your see, laptop, you go see ahead. You see people yeah. searching under the table on their phone? Yes, yes. Then, then you know exactly what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But drop the drop the jargon. I'm with you a hundred percent. And uh, companies also that's a bit, there's another dimension to jargon. Sometimes yeah. jargon seeps into marketing materials, and it's not serving your client base. Not at all. Yeah. It alienates them. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. There are those that say marketing should lead with strategy and market research, and this would eventually make the marketing function the voice of the customer in the organization. Agree or disagree, and why? Very good question. So voice of the customer is immensely important. At Mercury, all executives, C-suite members are expected to spend time with customers. 
uh, because you can't make judgments about customer pain points, client pain points, their expectations, their real needs kind of in a vacuum, right? That's why sometimes you're dealing in a situation where a company is changing their offering in a way that really doesn't make sense to the client base. Most likely it's some kind of a backroom decision without taking the voice of the client into consideration. So you're doing a disservice if you're not hearing the voice of your client. Market research is extremely important and I have a lot of background in it, so I would never dismiss its importance. But then famously the, uh, you know, iPhone was launched without any market research because it was such an innovation that people would not even know what they, they were missing if they didn't know what they were missing. So there is a very interesting balance on innovation with that. Again, strategy is insanely important, but any strategy that's not executed upon or implemented is useless. And, you know, it becomes like talk is cheap proposition. So, and you know what? A mediocre strategy well executed will usually deliver better results than a phenomenal stellar strategy that's not executed at all. So to speak of strategy without an execution plan and roadmap is also useless. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, it's interesting because... Um... Some of those points you uh, highlighted were there's a bit of a balance between the two and others. It's just, okay, well, yeah, to your point of the iPhone, exactly. Like how would they have done the, uh, the testing and the research on that if it didn't e even exist at the time, right? <laughs> and they did not validate would people use it, right? So, and then yes. there was the Apple brand factor. So all these things matter. Yeah. Uh, so to me, it's about context and balance. For some items, absolutely, you'll need market research. For others, you kind of have to innovate and go into mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So context really matters. So it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. But always be informed of the market. Always understand the human sentiment. Always take into consideration the client experience. So all these things do matter, no question about that. And voice of the customer, truth is though, most people talk about the voice of the customer, but a lot of the time things they, even on the marketing end, they build all these complex things and then they, they'll go with the survey to get a voice of the customer. It's a 30 question survey, which is not gonna be effective because you can't do one survey and get answers to everything. So yeah. then it's a check mark. Oh, we got the voice yeah. of the customer, but how valid are the responses that you got? Like, did they just like get tired and go through it? Did you pay for it? Like what's happening here? Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of factors, right? Like, did you ask the right questions or did you ask guiding questions where the answers were kind of obvious, right? So <laughs> Precisely. I mean, the, 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 and sometimes... You know, surveys are good. Again, you have to ask the right questions. You should not lead them. But sometimes what if you don't know what you don't know? It's, it's a limited perspective of what you had. Yes. What if you conduct a few in-depth interviews with a few clients and you might find out so many other things that are not even on your radar right. that would never make it into a survey? So sometimes the survey will reaffirm what we're expecting to know or learn. But exactly. it's not going to go too far. Exactly, exactly. In your own words, and you've 
highlighted some of these points already, but talk to us about the importance of building a competitive culture in a B2B company and how will a better internal culture help to create a more marketing driven organization? And when I, when I say competitive, I don't mean like everybody's fighting against each other, right? I mean, it's healthy competition, right? Uh... I, you know, I can speak about Mercury's case. At mm -hmm. Mercury, we, our values, we really try to live our values. It's uh, client obsession, relentless improvement, world-class teamwork. So that in itself creates the foundation for doing something better each time, kind of living the philosophy of Kaizen. Uh, which is the Japanese philosophy of driving incremental improvements all the time. If you have that mindset, it really goes a long way to deliver better results, not to work from satisfaction, but to keep driving continuous improvements. And that cycle is an ever-evolving going to the top. So by doing that, instead of being like stuck, this is how we've done it, you allow to improve the customer experience you know you'll see you see on linkedin and others that people say oh the most dangerous phrase in the english language is this is how we've always done it yeah. but truly that's a trap yeah. you know because Absolutely. that gets in the way of innovation because things change if we do not change and evolve client needs change client mandates change our internal processes have to also evolve to you know, serve that better, right? And world-class teamwork, how are we helping others succeed on our teams? How are we approaching that? Is there a sense of ownership? Is there accountability? So it becomes a philosophy for the organization. So most value statements, you know, you, you look at a company's value and it's like this long paragraph that nobody remembers. But your values have to be short, memorable, and livable above all. So that's what we aim for at Mercury. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's something interesting I've encountered in in past roles, and I, I'm not sure if you've had that same experience, but I, I guess depending on where you are in the world, and I was out in Asia Pacific for a very long time, and people there had different interpretations of what world class means right for the most part like for example in china they interpret that to be okay you want us to follow the western way which is which which was which was something that they were generally resistant to but um over to you did, did have you encountered that and how do you how do you deal with that kind of situation you're right cultural reference mm. points will make a world of difference depending on where you are in the world yes and uh you know for instance, in North America, people actually will look more inward, right? They will not look as much outward. Right. But world-class, the way we would interpret that at Mercury would, would mean, so anywhere in the world our clients, because we have clients all over, will feel that they're cared for. And then we could use those practices and share them, and they would be accepted anywhere in the world. That's that's the idea of a world class, not referencing Western, Eastern, but really trying to be best in class. That's another way of putting world class as best in class. Exactly, exactly. So it's basically to say it's not about East or West 
or our way is better than your way, but how do we do it in such a way that we achieve that customer satisfaction, right? How do we do this professionally, right? Do a good job better and, and, and achieve better uh, output. And frankly, these days in different countries of the world that are not in North America, yeah. sometimes you encounter way better service and practices. Oh, yes. That So we need to be open to learning from anywhere, anytime. To me, the world class really means best in class and evolving and learning from anyone. And that's the key to evolution because you don't know where the next development's coming from. Absolutely, absolutely. Case in point, and this is just for the audience out there, if you're interested, this is not necessarily strictly B2B. I would say this is more a B2B2C situation, but look up on YouTube the video series around the Changi Airport in Singapore. Now, that is my definition of a world-class airport, but it's interesting to watch this documentary because you see what goes on behind the scenes to make sure that it stays that way, right? And that is no small feat. <laughs> that see now that's the key thing right that it stays that way if i'm not mistaken in recent air, world airport rankings it was ranked number one or two yeah. it's one of yes. the top airports anyway mm -hmm. but keeping it that way because sometimes something was totally innovative at one point yes. and then it stops and then yeah. somebody else comes up with another different uh like groundbreaking approach and then Absolutely. this doesn't follow suit. So staying that way is really important. Yes, uh, yes. You know, in the, in the Middle East, they talk, everybody talks about Dubai, but seriously, yeah. Abu Dhabi and Doha. Doha, I was going to say, yeah. Are so ahead also, yeah. right? It's, yeah. Each has its own place, but it's no longer the one. Yes. Yes. So be, being stuck in that paradigm, they, they have to constantly try to do the, the next best thing. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So we come to the point in our conversation where we talk about actionable tips. And Jasmine, let's appreciate that, you know, a lot of the things that you've been talking about or we've been talking about in the past couple of minutes, these are probably not things that you can do in one day, right? But if there is any B2B marketer listening to this conversation out there and you would want to give them three to five things to take away from this conversation that they can immediately act upon, what would they be? Uh, number one, change your voice so you're not doing me, me, me. A lot of B2B marketing is so terribly boring and self-focused. Uh, if you look at the voice, it's we do this, we're the best, we, 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 me, 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 chest thumping. That doesn't matter because if you look at your competitors, everybody else is saying the same thing. What value do you deliver to your clients? So really review your materials and it's basic editing and just change your voice. Truly become a thought leader in that, right? Really participate. It does not have to start with groundbreaking stuff. It could be as small as changing how you position your LinkedIn posts. Speak again to the client needs and speak outside yourself. A lot of B2B marketing has a kind of a bad reputation because let's face it, it's boring. It does not have to be boring. Like there, it's just right. really the limitation is in people's heads. 
Don't make it boring. Talk about human issues. Uh, fundamentally, whatever B2B is doing, it's still serving people. So reach out to the people, to the decision makers, to their pain points. Be human in your voice. Uh, that will make a huge difference. Be a reliable source of wisdom. Uh, don't do, you know, one and done things that doesn't work and that does not deliver. So instead of being super good, on uh, super um, actually average or mediocre on 15 things, identify five and ace those and rock, rocket those. Be completely stellar at those five. Uh, choose and also make choices. Learn how to prioritize. You don't have to ace every uh, social media platform and site. You really can't. But choose one that you can really dominate and own and develop your presence in a way that comes across. You know, I mean, if you look at a company like Simple Human, they do trash cans. How exciting can trash cans be? Yet the voice that they have, the positioning, their guarantee, their speaking to clients goes a long way to making it a fascinating site, proof positive that you can do it with any item, any product, any service. You just have to find the right voice and step outside of yourself. You know, so just the me, 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 I'm coming back to my first point. Yeah. Whatever you do, step away from that me, me, me approach. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's definitely fantastic advice. So just to just to recap what you said. So first was change your voice. Um, be a thought leader. Speak to your clients and speak to their pain points and their challenges, I think is what you were trying to say. And the, be a reliable source of wisdom and prioritize and focus and i think that's such great advice like this whole attempt to be everything to everyone will is just the road to nowhere right so you've given us that great piece of advice or you know you've highlighted these five points which is a great segue into the next question which all marketers will have to face at some point i always call it face the music they have to show somebody higher up that what they're what they've initiated or what they've implemented is working so what metrics do you think marketers should be paying attention to? That's a great question. And metrics are insanely important. Mm -hmm. So you have, I'm very personally digitally focused. So my metrics will look at where we are in terms of SEO, in terms of critical keywords we're tracking. How is the website performing? How's our um, email marketing performing? And then the ultimate metric, uh, if you're honest with yourself, becomes your ability to bring in inbound leads and convert them to revenue. There is no bigger metric that speaks Absolutely. I, I, you know, I love that. I love that because, you know, you can twist and turn it however way you want and show all these charts. But if you can't prove that what you're implementing is actually generating inbound leads, then it's going to be a tough conversation at the end of the year. Right? Exactly. So. And there's one more metric that yeah. very few people talk about, but it's like looking at the cumulative impact of marketing. This is more complex to calculate, but marketing does have cumulative impact in your overall sales. And sometimes you can't really isolate that, but you can do it with some hard work, looking back, understanding trends, putting a special dashboard 
but that's a more sophisticated approach on top of it. So uh, people in the initial stages may not be ready to do that, but more advanced marketing organizations can actually do that. Exactly, exactly. Um, one more thing mm -hmm. when it comes to that cumulative impact, let's say inbound leads, they come, they go, but then if you can track with the CRM, see that once they become customers, how much more revenue is coming from them. Part of it is marketing contribution. That's a really good one. That's a really good one to track. I mean, Over the we, years, right? Yeah. Yes. It's almost yeah. never done by marketers, again, because it's complex to get to it's that. Complex. And it kind of breaks the traditional mold of marketing. Yes. But seriously, that contribution is immense. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Jasmine, what is a status quo in your area of expertise that you passionately disagree with and why? St status quo that I disagree with? Banner ads. <laughs> Okay. I, yeah. It's like yeah. if everybody would listen to this and cumulatively they would save billions of dollars. I'm sure oh, lots yes. of companies that sell them. I've never seen banner ads have that amazing impact that is promised. I've actually experimented and tested. Uh, let's face it, it's completely useless. Give it up. Don't do it. Don't go there. That's what I would, you know up into the proverbial pool to drown absolutely <laughs> well <laughs> and, and i think to your point there are so many other ways to generate results out there it does not have to be with banner ads <laughs> those funds can be redirected to so many other better things like yeah. linkedin promoted content yes <laughs> you can do things with it or better content yeah. but just just give it up yeah. Don't do it. Live with it. Yep. I'll support your efforts. Just don't do it. <laughs> no, fantastic. Fantastic. Jasmine, as expected, this was such an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, quick intro to yourself once again and how uh, folks out there can get in touch with you. Uh, they can get in touch with me at um, uh, on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so you can just message me anytime. And uh, our website is shipmercury.com. And my email is jasminem at shipmercury.com. But LinkedIn is always there. Very easy to connect with. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> Jasmine, once again, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again for your time. Take care. Stay Thank safe, you. And talk to you soon. Thank you, Christian. It's been a pleasure being on your show. and love the questions. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player.